Uh, we're going to continue our study uh, this morning in Luke's Gospel. Uh, so if you would please turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start in verse 37 and finish uh, till the end of the chapter. Uh, as you turn there, I do want you just to uh, be aware, just continue to pray uh, for Miss B. Green. Uh, the cancer continues to um, take its toll on her and the family. Uh, so just be praying for her. Pray that God would uh, just be kind to her, uh, that God would protect her and keep her faith strong. Uh, let's read God's Word, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that, the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of, the, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the, his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Great God, we bow before you now. We ask that you make your name glorified. God, we pray that we would just give you the honor and praise that is due your name. You are holy. You are majestic. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, you are the one who dwells in unapproachable light who no one has seen or can see. God, now we ask that your name be given eternal dominion forever and ever. God, we, we pray that you would just send your spirit to to fill this sanctuary with your presence. God, bless us with your presence. God, we also ask your presence to be with B, Green, and Tommy as they continue to face um, this battle of cancer. God, we pray that you will strengthen their faith, that they, they will not be weakened in their faith, but God, they will, they will believe that you are fully able to do what you promise in your word. 
Father, we pray for the family. We pray that their hope is grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel, that their sin is forgiven in Christ. God, I pray that you give them the hope of eternity that God has given us in Jesus in His resurrection. God, we pray for um, other churches in our area. God, we thank you so much for um, how big you are and that our our church is not the only church in town. God, we pray that you multiply churches in this area. God, we, we, we particularly pray this morning for Boyce Wilson and Ebenezer ARP. God, we pray that you would just be kind to him as he preaches your word this morning. God, we pray that you fill him with your spirit. And God, we also pray for those Christians who are around the world. We specifically pray for Thabiti and Wibwile today, God, as he's taking the stage even now, um, speaking to an Arab country in Dubai, about your gospel. God, we pray that you would speak through him by the power of your Holy Spirit, that people who are lost would come to know you in faith. And God, we pray that for our own hearts now. God, we want your your name to be glorified, but God, we want our hearts to be changed. Lord, we do not want to hear just another message. We want to hear a word from you. So God, we pray that you would just attend your word by the power of your spirit, that you would convict us regarding our sin, Father, that you would drive us to the cross. Father, I pray that you would allow us to focus in on your word. We pray against distractions, God. God, I pray even against my words, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing, Lord, that they'll be pleasing to you, God, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, we want to make much of you today, so God, we ask that you send your presence now to make much, to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. The job of a basketball referee is an awful job. Uh, They are always on notice, but they are only ever noticed when they make a bad call. Uh, It is not a good thing to be noticed if you are a referee. Uh, I had the distinct displeasure uh, to serve as a basketball referee one afternoon when I was 18 years old. I went to college and I came back and my high school basketball coach asked me if I would referee a tournament. He said, it's no big deal. You're just going to be one of two refs, blow the whistle, call a couple fouls, and you'll be good. Well, when I, when I showed up, I realized I was in trouble because the other ref did not show up. So it was just me. I'm like, okay, I got this. I played basketball for seven or eight years. I know the rules. I'll be okay. Let me just tell you, it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Now, I'm a big guy. I played football, so obviously I let the game get a little bit out of hand. I didn't call fouls the way I was supposed to. At one point, when I actually called a foul, both sides, both opposing teams, actually stood up and started clapping because it was that bad. Uh, I realized very quickly that um, how generous and how kind we really need to be for referees. It's easy when we watch referees, we watch games, when, when, when a ref makes a call against our team, we get mad, even if we know that it might be the right call. Well, after that experience, I, I learned that I need to be kind to our referees. Well, the thing is, is often I think that we are often like those referees. Now, the job of, of, of a ref or an umpire is just to call fouls, to try to keep the rules. Uh, but too often, we are the ones who try to call fouls. 
we blow our whistle and we condemn others. We point fingers and try to call out the sin of others rather than looking at our own hearts and souls to examine our own sin. Well, this morning, Jesus is finishing up his great sermon on the plain in the Gospel of Luke. And what he says is that you need to live an examined life, a self-critical life. So I pray this morning as we study this text, I want to challenge you with four questions that I pray would help you examine your own soul in light of God's Word. So if you have a bulletin, if you want to flip it on the back to follow along, we'll get to that first question. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? We, we look right there in verse 37. It says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus gives four commands here, and then one principle to help shape it. Two positively and two negatively. We start with that verse in verse 37, which I think is taught to every critic of Christianity in our culture. Judge not, and you will not be judged. This verse is often heard in our, in our culture, and it's taken by people uh, that implied to mind your own business. So when people say, judge not, means get out of my way. Stay out of my Kool-Aid. The problem is, is that that's not the goal of why Jesus says it. Jesus doesn't say that so we don't involve investing ourselves in the lives of others. He's saying you need to look at your own heart. So rather than use it as an excuse for personal autonomy that you are the Lord of your own life, Jesus says you need to look inside your own soul. And look, 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 look you can see this, huh? even how the principle is there in verse 38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is not the new, new age idea of karma. We say that every now and again. Well, something happens to someone, that's karma. It's going to come back and get you. Well, we don't necessarily, as Christians, believe in karma. We believe in that you reap what you sow and that God is in charge of the universe and you do certain things that God will bring those things to bear. But notice that God is the one who does that. Why? Because God is the judge. We see that right there, uh, that this principle that Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. The same measure that you use towards others, the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, will measure to you. We see this in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. It says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands men everywhere to repent because He has fixed the day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He's appointed. Of this he has given full assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The same thing we see in 2 Timothy 4.1, where Paul's charging young pastors, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And again in 1 Peter 4.5, but they, meaning everyone, will be held accountable to him who is the judge of the living and the dead. So, knowing that you will be judged by the supreme judge, Jesus Christ. 
You must examine what you are seeing, what you are looking at. Are you looking to judge and condemn others? Or are you looking to judge and condemn yourself, your own sin? It's so easy to to be the the referee and to, to call foul against somebody else. But how often do we call foul against our own soul? Let me give you an example. You ever have that when you walk into church and someone that you normally say hi to kind of brushes you off? The natural response is, what's wrong with that person? What did I ever do to them? Man, I really hope they listen to the sermon today. They need a word from God. That's our natural response. But, you know, I think we have to train ourselves to to think spiritually. We have to give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt. So a, a, a response could be, instead of assuming, assuming someone else's motives, we could be, I wonder why she didn't say hi to me today. I wonder what's going on in her life. Maybe she's having a down day. I know there's certain days that I don't say hi to people, that I don't, I don't feel very good. Maybe, maybe instead of being angry, maybe I should just pray for her. I know that I probably have hurt people like that too. You see how that works? So rather than focusing on the other person's sin, we look into our own soul and we realize that we have sinned against others and therefore we change and the relationship is restored. This is how Christians are called to live. We are not called to live in the natural way. We are called to live by the Spirit. And we see that principle worked out here. And look at how Jesus says it positively. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you, it will be given to you. I mean, do you hear those promises? If you forgive others when they sin against you, God will forgive you. For extending our forgiveness to those who hurt us, who sin against us, it shows that we understand that we ourselves have been forgiven by God. Because God has forgiven our sin in Christ. We have no right, no right to withhold forgiveness of somebody else. And when we do, we don't understand the gospel. We must forgive our brothers and sisters. But not only does He want us to forgive us, He wants to bless us. Hear that in the text. Jesus says, when we give, it will be given to us. And how will it be given? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be in your lap. Listen how one scholar describes this process. It says, the measuring of corn is a process which is carried out according to an established pattern. The seller crouches on the ground with the measure between his legs. First of all, he fills the measure three-quarters full, gives it a good shake with a rotary motion to make the grain settle down. Then he fills the measure to the top. And gives it another shake. Next, he presses the corn together strongly with both hands. Finally, he heaps it into a cone, tapping it carefully to press the grains together. From time to time, he bores a hole in the cone and and pours a few more grains into it until there is literally no more room for a single grain. In this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolutely full measure. It cannot hold more. That's the kind of God that we serve. He wants to bless us in such a way that we cannot hold more. 
We are so blessed when we live God's way. What a sweet promise. But before we move on to the next question, let's just jump down to verse 41. One more aspect of seeing. We see this in verse 41. Jesus continues, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck that is in your own eye, your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? He says, You hypocrite! First take the log out of your eye, then you're able to see your brother's speck. See, the point is not that we don't help our brother. The whole point is that you do what first? Examine your own sin. You examine how you fall short before God. We, if we try to help our brother without examining our own lives, we are hypocrites. It's hypocritical to tell someone to watch what you eat when you're throwing down your third piece of chocolate key lime pie. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather not listen to you, thank you. But the goal is, and I think we often think about this, that because the log and the speck, we we never invest ourselves in other people's lives. Now, Jesus is saying you need to invest in, in the lives of your brothers and sisters, but you have to do it in the right way first. You have to first look at your own life. Examine yourself. See your own sin. Because when you go to your brother, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be gracious. You're going to be gentle. Because you know that you are a sinner who has been forgiven by God. We have to take the log out of our own eyes first. So beloved, very simply, how do you see? Do you see your sin primarily? Or do you primarily see the sins of of others. Second question, whom are you following? Whom are you following? We see this in verse 39 when Jesus mentions this parable. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now these are, these are some profound statements. Now Jesus unpacks it towards the end of this sermon, but he wants you to ask yourself, whom are you following? If you are following someone who's blind, you will, be, um, fall, you will fall into the pit. Now the word pit there, it, it's a picture of hell. You will fall into a black hole, an eternal pit. We don't want to fall into a pit, do we? We want to make sure the person we're following sees. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying, he wants you to follow him. So whom are you following? Jesus is our only true guide. This is one of the reasons why I preach from the Bible. You know why? I don't trust myself. I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow me in as much as I follow God's word. Because that's what you need to follow. You don't need to follow a man. You need to follow God's word. So if I say something that is not from God's word, this is our standard. You come to me and say, Pastor, it says this in the Word. You misspoke. And if I don't say, Amen, and I, if I don't repent, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Find a new pastor. I am only good to you if I submit myself to God's Word. Amen? That's what we need to hear from. 
And we just have to be careful. You know, when you hear God's word on a Sunday morning, are your ears sharpened? Are you listening to make sure it's accurate and true? But not only here on Sunday, what about when you're in your den watching the news? Or when you turn on the television? Or when you read the paper? What, what, what's being projected to you? Who, who, who out there in the culture are you following? And to parents, we have to be especially aware of this because our kids are always in danger of being influenced by others. The teachers at school, their friends, if, if we're allowing our children to follow those who are blind, where are they leading them? To the pit. We must be vil- vi- diligent, vigilant, all those words that I want to say right, but I don't say right at the moment, right? We have to work hard to protect our kids. We have to work hard to protect our kids. Because here's the bottom line. Negatively, if you follow someone who's blind, you will be blind. But positively, if you follow someone who is right, good, true, and pure, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will become like Him. Isn't that beautiful? When we follow after Jesus, we will grow up to be mature in Christ. That's what we want. All other saviors are false. There is only one true Savior. Following false Savior leads to false disciples. We must ask ourselves, whom are we following? The third question we want to examine our own souls with this morning is, what are you treasuring? What are you treasuring? Jesus makes a turn in verse 43. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of of his heart, his mouth speaks. It's a very simple concept. You probably have heard it plenty of time before. Jesus looks at the natural world and just makes a very obvious observation. A certain kind of tree bears a certain kind of fruit. A fig tree bears figs. An apple tree bears apples. The nature of the fruit reveals the nature of the tree. You judge a tree by its fruit. But he makes the observation from the natural world to the spiritual world. You can judge a person by their fruit. A good person produces good and an evil person produces evil. Now, let me just remind you that I'm not asking you to think about your neighbor, the person sitting next to you. I'm asking you to think about your own soul. That's what Jesus wants you to look at. Do you treasure that which is good and produce good? Or do you treasure that which is evil and therefore produce evil? Our fruit will be determined by what we treasure, by what we cherish, by what we value. Now, there's, there's two ways to look at this. First, if you're here and you're a non-Christian, just trying to check out the, the Christian faith and try to figure out who is this Jesus. Well, the Bible says very, very clearly that we do not treasure God. In our natural self, we don't treasure God, but we rebel against Him. And because of our rebellion, we deserve to be punished for our sin. The biblical punishment is sin. Of sin is death. 
and hell. But this is the amazing thing about Christianity, is that although we did not treasure God, but rebelled against Him, God in His mercy treasured us. Because He sent the Lord Jesus to redeem His treasure, His children, by dying for them. He was dead and buried. He was raised from the dead. That Therefore, if anyone who puts their hope in Christ will be saved. So if you are here, and you know that the fruit of your life is not good, that you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, examine your heart. Examine your fruit. But turn to Jesus, and you will be saved. But this gospel message is not only for those who are non-Christians. The gospel message is for us Christians. See, the gospel is the fuel, is the fuel for the Christian life. Paul says this even to the Galatians church. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only, only this. Did you receive the spirit of works of the law by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh. Beloved, we are saved through the hearing of the gospel by faith. And we continue to become holy by the hearing of the gospel by faith. Let me give you a a secret. Those of you who are struggling with sin this morning, the reason why you struggle with sin, the reason why you struggle with besetting sins, maybe not complaining, arguing, gossip, jealousy, secret sins, the sins you don't want anyone to know about. The reason why Christians struggle with sin is because we do not treasure Jesus Christ. If you want to overcome sin in your life, we have to have Jesus Christ as our supreme treasure. Because God wants you to have pleasure. God wants you to have eternal joy. Psalm 34, 37 verse 4 says, Delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, God wants to give us pleasure. Our problem is that we do not seek after true pleasure. Listen how C.S. Lewis explains this. It, It would seem that our Lord defines our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who goes, out, goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is being offered, what is meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea. And he says this, which I think is so true. We are far too easily pleased. Christian, never forget your treasure. What God has done for us in Christ. Matthew 13, verse, verse 44 The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found and covered it up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. If we are in Christ, we have found the supreme treasure. We just have to continue to hold on to it. Uh, Jerry Bridges, in his book, uh, The Book Ends for the Christian Life, gives 12 phrases to help us diagnose if we have a treasure more than Christ. Because remember, if, if things that are, are good become ultimate, 
they become an idol. Nothing should be more supreme than Jesus Christ in our life. But let me ask you these questions. Fill in the blank for yourself. I am preoccupied with blank. If only I had blank, then I would be happy. I get my sense of significance from blank. I would protect and preserve at any cost. I fear losing blank. The thing that gives me the greatest pleasure is when I lose blank, I get angry, resentful, frustrated, anxious, depressed. For me, my life depends on the thing I value more than anything in the world is when I daydream, my mind goes to the best thing I can think of is the thing that makes me want to get out of bed in the morning is blank. We all have things in our life that try to take the supreme treasure, take the place of our supreme treasure, Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. How can we do what God has required us to do in his word? How do you love your enemies? How do you give of your wealth and your time to people who don't appreciate it? How do you do that? Well, you do it because you treasure Jesus Christ. You realize that you are a sinner, that you have rebelled against God, and in God's good justice, he des- you deserve to be sent to hell for your own sin. And yet God, in his mercy, came as a man and took our sin. His blood was spilled so that you can have life. When I think about all that God has done for me in Jesus Christ, I am I, I, when I treasure that, I can love my enemies. I can give my resources. I can give my time because Jesus Christ is supreme. Beloved, who are you treasuring? What are you treasuring more than Christ? Well, the last question this morning, where are you building? Where are you building? Jesus finishes his sermon with a very practical application. Right? So if, you, if I've lost you thus far, I invite you to come back and, and finish as we land this sermon. In verse 46, it says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? He starts off right there, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? These passages, passages like this and in Matthew chapter 7, are, 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 might be the scariest in the Bible for a pastor and for Christians. Why? Because Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Jesus is saying, if you don't obey my words, I am not your Lord. You know, we often talk with Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. But beloved, can I tell you something? Jesus is the Lord and Savior. Whether you submit to Him or not, He is Lord. The question is, will you bow to Him willingly or forcefully on His return? There are only two options. But look what it says as He goes on. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's about to give us a great picture. And it's really just three things. You come to Jesus, you listen to what he says, and then you do it. 
That sounds like the Christian life, doesn't it? Sometimes we make the Christian life so hard. We come to Jesus, we hear what he says in his word, and then we do it. You know, the, the, the challenge is not always knowing what to do, it's actually doing it. Then he gives us this great picture. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream broke against it, against that house, and could not shake it because it had been well built. I love that. Those of you who come here and who want to obey God by listening to his word and doing it, God says you're like this. You're, you're the one who's laying a solid foundation. That when the streams crash against your house, when, when the end comes, you will not be shaken. Because God is with you. Because you have built your foundation on the rock. It's not on your works. It's on what God has done for you, for you in Christ. As that great hymn of the faith My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. There's two options in life. We stand on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when the day when the floods arise, we'll stand. Or we built our house on sand, that when the flood comes, we will fall. And as it says in the scriptures, the ruin of that house was great. So this morning, I, I just challenge you, is Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? I do not want any of you here today hear those words, Lord, Lord, and then him cast you from his presence. Why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I say? Uh, the aged bishop, Polycarp, uh, was a disciple of the, the, the Apostle John. He was the bishop of Smyrna, uh, honored the Roman authorities under whom he lived until they asked for more honor than he gave his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The following is paraphrased from a Christian historian, Eusebius, History of the Church, about Polycarp's final hours. Are you Polycarp? The Roman proconsul asked. Yes. Swear to Rome and I will set you free. Execrate Christ. Polycarp replied, For 86 years I have been his servant, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul said, I have wild beasts. I shall throw you to them if you don't change your attitude. Call them, replied the saint. We cannot change our attitude if it means a change from better to worse. If you make light of the beast, retorted the governor, I will have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. Polycarp answered, The fire you threaten burns for a time and is soon extinguished. There is a fire you know nothing about, the fire of the judgment to come and of eternal punishment, the fire reserved for the ungodly. And why do you hesitate? Do what you want. The proconsul was amazed and sent the cry to stand in the middle of the arena and announce three times, 
Polycarp has confessed that he's a Christian. The crowd roared in unison that Polycarp must be burned alive. When the wood was laid around his feet, Polycarp prayed these words. O Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have come to know thee, the God of angels and powers and all creation, and of the whole family of the righteous who live in thy presence, I bless thee for counting me worthy of this day and hour, that in the number of martyrs I may partake of Christ's cup to the resurrection of eternal life of both soul and body in the imperishability that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Upon his amen, the pyre was lighted. Polycarp gave up his life in submission to the governing authority. But only after submitting himself to the true governing authority of his life. Beloved, I just ask you this, this morning, as Jesus did, to examine your own heart. Will you be like Polycarp, who says, 86 years I have served him, and he's done me no harm. I will not deny my God and my King. Examine your heart to see if you are in the faith. But oh, dear beloved, dear beloved, God is a good and gracious God. He has given us everything he has in Christ. Is there anything more supremely valuable than to treasure what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of our risen Lord? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. I thank you for um, your church. I thank you for your church who has trusted in you. God, I, I pray uh, that we will examine our own hearts, that we will not um, see the sins of others without looking at our own sin. Father, I pray that we will um, be aware of whom we are following. God, I pray that we will treasure Christ and produce good things out of an overflow of our heart. And God, I pray that we would be like the wise builder who hears your word and does them. So when the flood comes, we would stand firm, having built our foundation on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.